Hello, everybody. My name is Jason Hare, and welcome to Making an Impact. Again, thank you all for joining us on Making an Impact, a series of conversations hosted by Sayota Properties that center in and around the disability community. Today, we'll be talking about advocacy, specifically an amazing partnership between United Cerebral Palsy and the Anchor Foundation called the Case for Inclusion, which some of you have probably heard of. Designed especially for advocates who believe that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities should have options and resources to live life without limits, the Case for Inclusion outlines the challenges and the opportunities confronting providers working on the front lines of community inclusion. To add to our discussion, we're joined by Anchor's Director of Business Development and my good friend, the amazing Kate McNulty. Kate, how are you? Oh, good, 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 goodness. I'm great. I'm great. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. Uh, well, you're going to, I'm glad that you're happy to be here. You're going to hate this because I'm going to sing your praises for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. Kate joined Anchor in 2018 as their director of business development, but you've worked in the field of intellectual and developmental disability. Should I say how long? You can. Okay. For 30 years. She began her career as a teacher for middle and high school students with significant behavioral and emotional disabilities, and after earning a master's degree, went on to join a national provider organization holding positions of increasing responsibility, including executive director. In 2007, Kate joined Sayota Properties, where she served as the director of strategic alliances and where yours truly had the sincere pleasure of working with her side by side. Kate, you've made an impact wherever you've gone from California to New Jersey, and I'll tell you, there's probably not a lot of people that are listening to this within the intellectual and developmental disability field that don't know who you are. And so for that, I'm really grateful that you can join us again. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And thank you so much for your kind words. I did not even have to pay you for those. So I I appreciate that. (laughs) You can though, if you'd like, if you'd like to contribute. Well, We'll, we'll talk. (laughs) Right. And to quickly tell a personal story, to sing your praises a little bit more. When I first started working at SEDA about five years ago, you led a training class. One of my first uh, days there where we talked about um, person first language and the reason that we do what we do, talking about institutionalization. And one of the things that we went through was Christmas in purgatory. Um, And as you were going through Christmas in purgatory, you actually teared up. Do you remember this? I do. I do. It was really powerful for me, not only kind of to learn about, again, the reasons that there's so many people who do what they do, but also to see that emotion sparking inside of you. And when we talked about advocacy or doing an advocacy episode, you were definitely one of the first people that came to mind. Um, And Anchor releasing this case for inclusion, it was sort of a perfect time. So if you can, give us a quick background on the case for inclusion and why Anchor got involved. Sure. And and let me just to be clear, for those of you who may not know Anchor, it is the American Network of Community Options and Resources. And Anchor is the largest advocacy slash trade association who support providers who support people with intellectual and developmental disabilities in the nation. Um, We are based in Alexandria, Virginia, and we also have an office on the Hill, um, which is uh, utilized constantly by a a part of our very, very small staff. So our staff is 15 large. um, And as the saying goes, we are small but mighty. Um, So we have been 
involved in the case for inclusion since 2006. And I'm, Jason, I'm just going to veer off just a little bit. Generally, um, our, our case for inclusion has assessed all 50 states and di the District of Columbia on dozens of measures that indicate how well state programs are enabling people with uh, intellectual and development or disabilities to be included in their community. And so it really has been a lot of statistics state by state. This year, however, with COVID um, wreaking chaos upon everyone and everything, we, um, we decided it was time to just look at some of the larger pictures and not look at state by state statistics. So if this is the first time you're taking a look at um, the case for inclusion, it will look quite different than in years past. And probably, hopefully, by the next time we publish this, it will go back to comparing apples to apples. We just felt like in, in this environment, it was impossible to do that. Right. And that's amazing that you guys pivoted, especially when you talk about your small staff. Another quick metric. I think you guys represent about 1,600 providers across the country. Is that correct? That is correct, which, which translates to approximately 1.5 million people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Which to me is just astonishing. The fact that you can... You, you've been doing this, like you said, for a while, but you're pivoting to address what's going on in, in the COVID universe is, is pretty astonishing. So in what ways have providers been impacted by COVID-19? What did you find in your reports? Sure. Well, I mean, as you can imagine, um, the primary focus of providers were to keep the folks they support and their staff, their amazing direct support workers, um, safe, alive, and well. Um, and in doing so, that brought on a tremendous amount of overtime. It brought on for providers closures of all or parts or, and pieces of their um, strategic business. For instance, um, vocational centers or you know, just a, a vocational place for folks to go every day. Um, those things have essentially shut down with COVID rearing its ugly head. And because of that, a, a lot of these providers are underwater or going out of business um, and, and struggling to make ends meet. And again, primary focus to keep folks safe. Mm -hmm. And when you guys launched the case for inclusion, I believe there was a webinar this Monday. Um, there was a statistic that they had given, and you had talked about the unfunded overtime. 52% of providers had unfunded overtime expenses in excess of normal overtime that they experience. And that number is insane. And, and you know, one of the things that I've always been blown away by, you know, by DSPs all the way up to, you know, executive leadership and providers just all around. Um, I think it, it the, is very well encompassed by you and I have a good friend, Robert Budd. And right. he says 
uh, we're like weeble wobbles. And, and Robert, if you listen to this, I'm sorry if I get it wrong, but he says, we're like weeble wobbles. We wobble, but we don't fall down. And, you know, I think for the vast majority of providers, that is just, it's an, you know, you can't fall down. They keep going. And, you know, although this is an extraordinary time with COVID, it's not extraordinary for providers to have a tremendous amount of overtime and to see cuts in their particular states and funding and things like that. So, you know, while this, this truly has been extraordinary, providers have always dealt with um, some, some hardships and difficulties to continue to do what they do to support folks with IDD. Right. And so looking at that, what policy actions are needed immediately to ensure providers continue to stay afloat? Well, we envision, um, we, we have, we've broken it down into two different categories. And if you go on, and I think Jason, you'll share this with folks at the end of this podcast, but if you go on to um, uh, this case for inclusion.org, you'll see that we have a little chart and in the chart, we say um, we think the Biden administration should incentivize states to develop and implement a plan for addressing components of the workforce crisis. We think that um, CMS should include home and community-based services under the equal access rule. We think that we should target DSPs, direct support professionals, with the incentives established um, by the caregiver's proposal which means primarily paying them a living wage Mm -hmm. because right now they just aren't, you know, their, their commensurate uh, workforces are fast food places and things like that. And, you know, these folks are responsible for the lives and well-being um, of, of people. And that, that's a big deal. And they're, we, we've, we've always known that they're vital. I mean, they've been, again, just an incredible workforce forever, but this year, you know, throughout the pandemic more than anything, they're the, the amount that we've leaned on DSPs has been incredible. Oh, and the stories have been incredible. And that's one of the things that this, this is the case for inclusion is focusing on in particular this year are stories um, stories you can share with your Congress people, your legislators, to say how important it is to um, you know set the scale right and and make sure these DSPs are paid again a commensurate wage. Um, we would like to see Congress compel the Bureau of Labor Statistics to establish an SOC. And if you don't know what that is, it's a standard occupational classification for DSPs. Currently, there's not one. So it's very difficult to say, okay, here's what they should be paid across all states because there's there's no baseline. Mm. And that's what we've struggled with for quite some time. So that's what we are really pushing the 117th Congress to do. Um, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, that, that kind of is 
part of one of my next questions, I guess, in, and this might've been cutting you off a little bit because, you know, one of the questions that I had would be if you had a magic wand and could address one issue immediately, would it be uh, the issues regarding DSPs? So if I had a gigantic magic wand, Mm -hmm. it would be to do a couple things with one flick of my wrist. It would be to end this pandemic and bring things back to some sense of normalcy and in the process ensure that these DSPs who have worked tirelessly, I mean, worked away from their own families um, to make sure folks are safe and well, are are recognized and have a standard occupational classification and are paid a living wage. So that's a pretty darn big um, magic wand, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But it's all, I think to your point, nothing is more important than the other. They are all immediate needs that need to be addressed. And the pandemic ending would be just a dream come true. Wouldn't it? Yes, indeed. Indeed. Well, you know, Kate, I really appreciate you coming and and speaking to us a little bit about the case for inclusion. I know that there's just so much time and effort that gets put in by Anchor and UCP and all of you, again, working together to put this out in a pandemic time to show people what are the immediate needs that need to be addressed currently and and to, again, pivot the way that you did to address the COVID-19 world versus the way that the traditional case for inclusion looks. Um, You guys just really continue to show why you are a leading organization. Well, I appreciate again your kind words, Jason. And you know, I would encourage folks, and I think Jason is going to say something shortly about how to join Anchor um, if you are a provider and are not a member. But even if you're not, we'd love to know your stories um, because those are the most storytelling is the most powerful tool to um, invoke a change, and and we certainly. Um, welcome all stories that you have. Um, so again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And and we most certainly appreciate the work that the folks at UCP have done um, along in conjunction with us. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Kate. And thank you to everyone who's tuned in to listen. We'll have a breakdown of this conversation and more information about the case for inclusion uploaded to our blog at sayuta.com. Also, check out Anchor's website to learn more at ancor.org. If you're a provider and not a member of Anchor, reach out to Kate to start being a part of the conversation. This is a group that continually represents the needs and interests of private providers before Congress and federal agencies, and your support and engagement is crucial to their work. Regardless if you're a member or not, visit thecaseforinclusion.org or Google Inclusion 2021 to view the PDF. And remember to tell your story. As Kate said, storytelling is so important. And finally, make sure you sign up for our email list to ensure you're up to date on our new podcasts. Until then, remember to make an impact with everything that you do. My name is Jason Hare. Have a great week. So long, everybody. (music) 